0: Episode 94, A Hunting We Will Go. I'm Morgan Shortle, and you're listening to the November 18th, 2009 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. I woke
1: up at 5 a.m. Put on my camouflage, wiped Four to three and fired up my dog. Headed out to my old dear stand back in the pines gonna get me a ten-point buck with 11 inch hinders. Yeah.
0: Hunting is big business in Kansas. Hunters coming to our state bring in guns and ammunition and leave with much slimmer wallets. Spending by hunters is a big part of the economy of many Kansas communities and those towns like to make hunters feel appreciated. Join Assistant Museum Director Rebecca Martin and me as we examine a banner that welcomed hunters to Hayes, Kansas just before the opening day of pheasant season in November 2006. And then, with Thanksgiving just around the corner, we'll connect William Allen White to everyone's favorite chef, Julia Child. Is there really a French recipe for turkey? Find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, the hunting we will go.
1: Oh, no better place to go. Waiting on a deer on a star. I'll always be true to my heart.
0: Welcome Hunters Banner. Good morning, Rebecca. Hi Morgan. And today we're gonna to talk about a big plastic banner that reads Welcome Hunters. And it has a picture of a deer head on the right side and a big Budweiser logo (laughs) on the left and it says Welcome Hunters below the logo Mm -hmm. Um, and the banner looks brand new. Uh, Why does the museum have something so new in its collections?
1: Well, um, we collect new things because they fulfill parts of our um, collecting plan. We have a plan that we follow And uh, one of our goals was to collect something about hunting in Kansas because hunting is big in many parts of our nation, especially in the Midwest. And it would be something besides guns because guns is what we always think about collecting. So um, we had an idea that, well, maybe we could get some hunting signs. Um, And in the first weekend in November in 2006, um, uh, another curator and I were in a car in Western Kansas in this town called Hayes. Been, and there. been been there, yeah <laughs> been there many times, and uh we were we needed gasoline, so we were driving down the main strip in hazen. And- there was the Serves Conigo Station with this huge Welcome banner, welcome Hunter's Banner <laughs> How right out it? front. Oh, gosh, it's probably about uh, 10 to 12 feet long. Okay. It's, it's, it's bigger big. than I thought it was. It's really big, and it's bright plastic, brightly colored orange and black, and it was kind of a showstopper, which <laughs> was a perfect way to design a banner, right? Yeah. You want people to see it. <laughs> So we pulled into the gas station, and then we had a quick discussion over who was going to ask, could we take the banner?
0: <laughs> <Just ask>. you <Yeah. laughs>
1: um, Because we thought, well, that's great, because that particular weekend, it was November, and, um, you know, there were a bunch of hunting seasons coming up. It was, I think, the day before pheasant season started. And there were banners and signs everywhere in Hayes. And we thought, this is perfect. This is a really bright, colorful banner that will represent hunting without being a gun and uh, we could actually use it on display and it fulfills uh, part of our collecting plan.
0: Cool. So did you have to ask for
1: it? Uh, No, actually, uh, the (laughs) other curator, Laura Van Horstel, who many of our fans know from previous podcasts, Laura's not working for us anymore, but Laura went in and asked and, and the owner said sure, take it. Just take it with you. He said, I'll just tell the distributor that it got torn up by the wind. And of course, it being Western Kansas <laughs> in November, Western Kansas any time of the year, but November there was a cold front blowing in and the wind was just screaming. And here we are trying to untie this banner that's just wanting to blow to Canada. <laughs> but luckily we got it off. We got it folded up and put in our car. We brought it back to Topeka and we were so happy. <laughs>
0: Great. And why is there a picture of a deer on the banner, which maybe it kind of seems well, obvious but
1: you know we didn't really realize that because neither one of us were hunters that that wasn't the first weekend of deer season we thought it was deer season but that the very next day after we collected this banner it was the start of pheasant season um, and there were actually a lot of um, other smaller signs with pheasants on them in haze but they kind of weren't prepared for pheasant season because they had that was the first year that they had moved up pheasant season so Okay. They had a lot of hunting generic hunting banners, but deer season wasn't going to start right away. Um, but it's kind of a nice banner anyway, just kind of generic hunting. You it, know, you said something about moving the hunting season up. Yeah, they, um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, they um, the the state made a decision to move pheasant season up because our surrounding states had seasons open, the the pheasant season opening that weekend. And we had traditionally opened the second or third week in November. And what would happen was that if you were really itching to hunt pheasants or game birds, you were going to go to some other state. Uh, Oklahoma, I think Nebraska, maybe. Um, So the head of our Wildlife and Parks Department said this is kind of silly. We're losing all of this potential income for our Mm -hmm. communities. Let's move it up to be at the same weekend that it is with the surrounding states. And that was the first weekend, the first year that they had that had pheasant season start the first weekend in November. And apparently, it was really successful because we got more income that year. The hunters bagged more birds than they had in previous years because they started early. Mm -hmm. and we got more hunters like we get like we're ranked third or fourth traditionally in top pheasant hunting states in the nation Uh, so people come out here you know like gangbusters and about half of our hunters we have like I don't know, well over a hundred thousand hunters. A lot of times, um, about half of them are from Kansas, but a lot of them are from other states. So it brings a lot of income into these little towns. And um, Hayes is not—I I don't think Hayes people would like to be called a little town. <laughs> um, you know, it depends on your perspective. But there are some surrounding towns um, out in that region of the state, big you know game hunting area, um, that they have no hotels, but people open their homes as bed and breakfasts or other inns They, yeah. you know, they have they specifically cater to pheasant hunters because it is such a big economic boon to them.
0: Yeah, it's my dad used to hunt and he would go hunt. He'd have to go ask people to hunt on their property. Sure, but then they'd end up feeding them uh-huh. people of the on the property and feed them, and it was great. He loved going out. There.
1: Yeah, and and there are some places. I mean, that's their their probably big economic return for the year is mm-hmm. they rent out their houses yeah. and their barns to hunters, and then they feed them. They give them a big home cooked meal. Yeah. And if you get on, <laughs> go out on the internet, you can find all sorts of people in western Kansas who are doing that.
0: Um, before we get too far, um, let's talk about the bird, the pheasant. The bird. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can you describe what it looks like for us?
1: Yeah, and, and people can obviously find, you know, pheasants, pheasant photographs out mm-hmm. on the internet. But um, what Kansas's bird looks like is it's a ring, it's called a ring-necked pheasant, which means the male have males have a ring of white around their necks and it really stands out because the rest of their coloring is much darker. They're probably, I mean, would you say they're about the size of a chicken, maybe? Oh, I was couple thinking A couple pounds or bigger. They look bigger yeah, a lot I'm of thinking times. Yeah, a little
0: bigger. I've only seen them from the car. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to tell, but they look bigger. They're longer than a they're, chicken.
1: Yeah, and they're really long, and then they have these extremely long tail feathers that kind of arch out from their body. They're very pretty at birds, and um they're not native right they're not native that's something that i i just um i was assumed that they were native birds funny looking native birds but (laughs) now it explains why they look so different from our other birds um, because they were actually um, introduced to kansas from asia in 1906 they introduced about thirty thousand plus or i think birds at that time and they've just really taken over in kansas um, in fact, like you said, you see them from the car. Yeah. This time of the year especially, you're driving down a country road mm-hmm. and they're flying out in front of you in the yeah. car and you, so you see them in motion. A lot of times they're crawling along the side. Um, they do really well here because we have such good habitat for them. We have a lot of grain crops so especially this time of the year fall, they're in it. this year there's a lot of grain still in the fields because it's been so wet. So they have this great food source. It's like a buffet, mm-hmm. you know, right alongside the road. And then we have a lot of Grasslands, so it's a good cover for them. Yeah, they can hide in there.
0: But it's yeah. kind of funny because I think they're pretty brightly. I mean, they're they are subtle, bright. but they're kind of shimmery. And is their head kind of greenish black?
1: Yeah, and then it's they've got red wattles. I believe yeah. is the word for it. And then this, you know, the males have this white ring around uh-huh. their necks. And their colors. I mean, it's not uniformly brown. It's really beautiful coloring. So when you describe it, it's kind of a modeled lots, yeah. of, lots of different colors and like you said, iridescent and parts. Yeah, you re-
0: do, once you realize they're introduced from Asia, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, doesn't it? And it's, a, they, it's kind of funny that they do so well here. They but. kind of
1: look like they would be drawn on a scroll or yeah. something, and they're very elegant looking birds, mm-hmm. and they're beautiful to see, and of course, you know, we shoot them. Yes.
0: <laughs> you know, I've never, have you ever
1: eaten? one? I've never eaten one. I've never shot either. one either. I'm not. Not a hunter, yeah, generally
0: but, yeah. <laughs> I've had quail, but not pheasant. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So uh, let's talk about the banner. Let's go back there. Yeah, go back um, to the banner. Where did the Hayes gas station get this banner? Which well, I think we kind of touched upon earlier, but
1: yeah, he. Well, uh, you know, the big Budweiser logo kind of explains it because the <laughs> local beer distributor um, provided the this gas station owner all of his banners, um, which I think is pretty telling i mean if you're hunting it's not just about shooting and killing things right it's a social event and part of socializing is drinking (laughs) um so yeah so most of uh, the banners that you saw in Hayes would have some sort of a distributor's name on them or let's say um a hunting organization or a conservation program Mm -hmm. like ducks unlimited yeah um and some of the other banners we saw um funnily enough when we were we actually um the curator and i were out there to attend a meeting of the Kansas Museums Association and as we're checking into the hotel we noticed this little laser printed sign laser printed sign that said hunters please don't kill your bird clean your birds in the room uh, in, in your bathtubs? Yeah. <laughs> we have a special bird cleaning station out back. And so, of course, we're thinking, we're going to put our feet in a bathtub where somebody has cleaned a bird.
0: So uh, Yeah, they, they have to make a sign telling them not to not do that. Not to do it, yeah. <laughs>
1: Apparently that's part of, maybe that is some beer-inspired thing, you know. You just yeah, maybe. drink beer and clean your bird in your bathtub. And think that's your, the only time they're <laughs>
0: drinking beers and cleaning them, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> pretty much. So, yeah. So, you know, Budweiser, I mean, Budweiser knew its demographic. Uh,
0: it, yeah. And it definitely gets people's attention. Because it has that bright safety orange.
1: Right. Yeah. And um, and it was really prominently displayed. You couldn't miss it as you were driving past this gas station. You're a hunter. You're going to have to get gas and probably beer and, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever else you're interested in. Um and so it was really targeting the right demographic.
0: <laughs> so, okay, the last question for you. If you could change anything about this banner, what would it be?
1: I think, Morgan, I would make the deer look more scary because he just looks pretty happy and a little curious, like he's looking at a hunter. Hey, what are you doing over there? Yeah. And I think he should really have some fear in his eyes. Yeah. That... <laughs> <laughs> what would you change? Um you know, I was thinking
0: maybe adding some dogs on there. Not that oh, you yeah. would hunt the dogs, but they're pretty <laughs> Yeah, it's an icon right. of hunting. You're or right. Or a big truck.
1: Uh-oh, it has to be truck. something like
0: graphically compelling, I guess, yeah. just to get the attention.
1: It's kind of interesting that Budweiser didn't put a big can of beer on it. Yeah. Well, cool. clearly... but then you
0: get into that, you know,
1: guns and beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> Maybe
0: it's not the best combination.
1: <laughs> no. So, yeah, they probably understood they wanted people to hunt responsibly. Yes. And, and
0: deers first, right? Deers first. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Rebecca. You're welcome. it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me today is Assistant Registrar Nakayla Zimmerman. Hello. And Museum Director Bob Kekeisen. Hello. So Thanksgiving, yes, that annual socially acceptable reason to eat ourselves silly, yep. and that's next week. So that got us thinking about food, yeah. and mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I don't need any reason yeah. to think about food. Oh, yeah, like we now. need
2: a reason yeah. to think about <laughs> eating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we thought it might be fun to connect William Allen White to the most famous of all American chefs, Julia Child. Bob, can you tell us about the French chef?
2: Sure. Well, Julia Child was born Julia Carolyn McWilliams in Pasadena, California in 1912 and she grew up in California and attended a couple of different schools there and then went to college at Smith uh, back east where she graduated in 1934. And she actually got a degree in history, so there you go. Hey, way to go, Julia. All you historians (laughs) out there, uh, there are careers for you. Just
1: (laughs) Just not in history. (laughs) history.
2: Well, she got a job um, as a copywriter in New York City right after college and worked there. And then in World War II, interestingly, she went to work for the OSS, which is the Office of Strategic Services. Sounds like it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And she met and married Paul Child. And uh, Paul worked in the Foreign Service. So he was stationed all over. And they were married in 1946. And while Paul was stationed in uh, Paris, Julia was, you know, didn't have a job, sort of bored, tried several different things, but really settled on cooking. She, she uh, went to a restaurant, had this fabulous meal, and said it was just like a revelation to her. So she was, uh, finally, after several different tries, she was able to enroll in the very famous uh, cooking school, Le Cordon Bleu, in Paris, and, um, you know, finished the course there, and then uh, began teaching American women in Paris, how to cook and kind of trying to make French cooking a little more accessible to American women. She met uh, another French chef, uh, Simone Beck, and together they started writing a book, which eventually became Mastering the Art of French Cooking, which is kind of her masterwork. That was published in 1961 and to, you know, great reviews and she went on National Educational Television in 1962 doing just a, a sort of a short demonstration program and that evolved in 1963 into what You know, some people my age grew up with the French (laughs) Chef on uh, public TV. And, you know, she was on starting in 1963 on WGBH in Boston. Uh, Interestingly, the French Chef became the first uh, program to ever be closed captioned for the hearing Hmm. impaired. In 1972, so there's a little Hmm. bit of trivia for you.
0: Accessible Uh, in many ways. Yes.
2: (laughs) And um, she went on to write several other books and, as as Morgan said, became, uh, you know, probably the most famous of all American chefs. And uh, she passed away in 2004, and she's recently come back to uh, prominence because of the book and the movie Julie and Julia, where uh, a New York writer spent an entire year trying to cook every recipe (laughs) in Mastering (laughs) the Art of French cooking. (laughs) And that was, you know, I I thought captured marvelously by Meryl Streep, uh, even though Meryl Streep isn't six foot two, which Julia Child was.
1: She was very convincing, though. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I thought she did a fabulous job.
0: Well, thank you, Bob. Mm-hmm. And, Nikayla, I believe you have a solution once
1: again. Yes, I do. And it takes a twist that I didn't see coming when I started looking for a solution, <laughs> okay. but it's good. So, um, Well, as Bob mentioned, during World War II, Julia Child got a job with the Office of Strategic Services after she was denied entrance into both the WAX and the WAVES because of her hype. And so, um, within the OSS, she worked for General William J. Donovan, who was the head of that agency. Um, in 1912, Donovan had formed and led a cavalry troop of the New York State Militia. And in 1916, that unit served in the Poncho Villa campaign in Mexico. And the Poncho Villa campaign was commanded by General Frederick Funston, who was a Kansas boy. He grew up in Allen County and was a close friend of William Allen White. The pair met while they were both at KU and they were frat brothers.
2: So, yeah. who this, would
1: have thought Poncho Villa <laughs> is the person <laughs> used to connect Julia Child to William Allen yeah, White?
2: She'd been the Mexican chef, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so,
0: Thank you, Nikaela. Yeah,
2: you bet. And Bob, would you like to issue the next challenge? Sure. Well, um, as some historians out there may know, uh, our next podcast uh, is on December 2nd. Well, they may not know that, but they might know that December <laughs> 2nd uh, is the 150th anniversary of the day that John Brown was executed for his raid on Harpers Ferry, uh, the federal arsenal there. But, you know, that's just way too easy, I think, (laughs) to connect John Brown to uh, William Allen White. But I figure people might be expecting us to do that, so we're not. Um, (laughs) Surprise! Well, I also think, you know, Trying to, you know, trying to commemorate an execution is kind of a downer. We, yeah. we don't want to do that. <laughs>
1: Especially anymore. in the high of the holidays.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's, everybody's in a good mood. So to lighten things up, uh, December 2nd is also the birthday of the American actor Ray Walston, who is perhaps best known for his role on the 1960s television comedy My Favorite Martian. But he was in a ton of other stuff as well. So we want people to connect William Allen White to Ray Walston.
0: Great. So if you think you can connect William Allen White to an actor who's played everything from a Martian to the devil to Mr. Hand in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, just send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That's podcasts with an S. So still I can hear the train from ten
1: miles away. Hey, if I'm here eight hours from now, it'll be okay.
0: Episode 94, A Hunting We Will Go. To see photos of the welcome banner, go to our website, kshs.org, and click on Podcasts. To find out about our latest podcast posting or other new artifacts and photographs acquired by the Historical Society, check out our Facebook page and become our friend. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Just search for Kansas Historical Society. Come back in two weeks when curator Blair Tarr tells us about a strange Kansas invention, the rungless ladder. That's right. A rungless ladder. A ladder without rungs. Is this some kind of joke? Join us in two weeks to find out. This podcast has been a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories.
1: sound of a choir Talking to the man in the moon Way up in the sky